This is episode 222 of Alohomora for June 10th, 2017. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this wonderful episode. Don't forget, this is the original Harry Potter book club <laughs> that you are listening to. Important fact. I mm-hmm. am Kristen Keys. I'm Rosie Morris. And I'm Kat Miller. And our guest today is our lovely friend, Grace. Hello, Grace. Hey there. Hi, hey, Grace. thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I was so excited for this episode. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I know you've been on the show before, but remind mm-hmm. our listeners uh, just who you are and your house and all that jazz. Um. Okay. I am. I'm Grace, and I am actually. I've been sorted into Gryffindor, but I pretty much love all the houses. I know that like my favorite character, Tom, is from Slytherin, so like I kind of associate with them a whole lot. Okay. <laughs> my husband keeps saying that I'm a Ravenclaw. <laughs> um. Uh. What else? What else? What other Harry Potter? Oh, okay. Ilvermorny House. Um, oh, yeah. If that matters at all. <laughs> yeah, you know. You know. Thunderbird. <laughs> right. So Gryffindor Thunderbird. That's the most stereotypical of them. <laughs> yeah, that's not an uncommon one. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we're very happy to have you uh, back discussing Mr. Tom Thank you. today. And yeah, yeah, I was on the Horcrux episode, too. I feel like I'm just sort of continuing on the Tom path here. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and this is the first time that we've really discussed the villain Tom Riddle in this much detail as well. So it'll be really, really fun to delve into this topic. Um, so oh, if you guys so out happy. there have not revised your Tom Riddle facts, uh, you might want to go away and look him up in the lexicon or something right now. But we'll do that during the episode as well. So just join in when you want. <laughs> and don't forget this episode is sponsored by Marjolaine Martin on our Patreon page. Don't forget that you can become a sponsor for just as little as $1 a month. We will continue to release exclusive tidbits for sponsors. So thank you, Marjolaine. And don't forget to help us out and become a sponsor yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much. She's been a sponsor for a very long time. And we thank her. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So as usual, kind of before we get into our discussion, uh, we like to present our overall impression, kind of any focus questions that we want to talk about as far as our topic of Tom Riddle today goes. And this is definitely... A broad topic, but kind of narrow since it's one person. But <laughs> oh man, he's, he lived a long time. He did. So, I mean, and in wizard terms, like it's actually kind of a short time. It is considering. Yeah. He, yeah. It could have been like double what he had, but no. Yeah. For someone <laughs> so intent on trying to prolong his life and never die, he kind of did the opposite. Really, <laughs> he really did. Yeah, he's only seventy-one when he died. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Nice. Crazy. Well, I'm super duper interested in talking about the angle if Tom Riddle should be pitied. And remember, listeners, we're talking about Tom Riddle, not Lord Voldemort. So Tom Riddle. Um, And I know we've talked about it before in other episodes, but I'm super interested in uh, that aspect of, you know, is he pitiable? Is he redeemable in any way? So that'll be fun to talk about. Hmm. Yeah. Um, As Kat said, we, we are looking at Tom Riddle rather than Lord Voldemort. We're kind of um, bridging the gap slightly towards the end, um, we're going to go up to uh, probably around um, the death of the Potters, so the kind of fall of Voldemort the first time. 
Um, but what I'm really interested in is kind of the escalation of evil. So um, how Riddle got from where he was at the orphanage um, to the kind of ultimate acts of evil that he ended up doing um, as his older self. Like the train ride of insanity. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> nice. That's perfect. Perfect. Um, and I am definitely interested in going into Tom Riddle as a character study and also lessons that can be learned from his insane life. <laughs> he did have one of those, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Hmm. So to start us off, uh, we love going into kind of names Um and our kind of discussion of why these characters are called these things. Um, and Tom Marvola Riddle, you know, the whole thing is about his name, really. Um, but as this was a plot point that was introduced a little earlier in the books, um, perhaps it's not quite as uh, subtle or um, developed as some of her, uh, as some of Joe's later plans. Um, Tom Marvola Riddle was born on December 31st in 1926. Um, the name Tom uh, is kind of one of the most common English names. It doesn't really have too much of its own kind of personal meaning, um, but it is often used to present kind of an average man, you know, the phrase like Tom, Dick and Harry. Um, so for for Tom to be a Tom means that he's nothing special, essentially. Um, riddle, obviously, is a, a deliberately puzzling word game or challenge. So that really just easily ties into the whole anagram aspect of his name. Um, becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy perhaps um, with that title mm-hmm. um, and then we've got the the middle name Marvolo which is actually not a real name as far as I can tell um, it's most likely created for the anagram idea by Joe herself um, but there are elements of Malvolio to it um, which is kind of the malcontent ag- antagonist character um, in Twelfth Night for example um, and we've got this kind of history of you know negativity around that character um so that kind of feeds into riddle's personality and also um the kind of gaunt history that that name belongs to mm-hmm. well also i feel like uh, marvolo is it's kind of like a grand name it sounds like marvelous it does, like yeah. i feel like mm, it, it, it yeah. almost implies royalty definitely which so, is something that's yeah that the mm-hmm. gaunt family would love tied to them yeah <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. Not that they were particularly also, marvelous by that stage. <laughs> <laughs> no, not by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-mm. But um, I also feel like him being born on December 31st is almost symbolic of he's the end of an era. Yes. Um, the kind of the death of a year. Oh, yeah, definitely. And he's almost like stuck in that end of the era. Like he's he's going out with a bang. But like Harry being born in the summer as as opposed to him being born in the mid- middle of like winter is um, like hugely symbolic of Harry bringing new life. Well, and, yeah, and that's I was just going to say that's the other thing too is that the the new year is is uh symbolic of birth and and rebirth and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact that it's December 31st is uh it, it speaks to rebirth, but it's almost kind of the opposite of rebirth in a way. So, it's true, interesting. yeah. The idea of kind of death and resurrection, definitely. Mhm. For sure. Yeah, I mean, he did go farther in immortality than everyone else. He resurrected himself. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's also quite interesting that Joe did pick December 31st for Tom. And then obviously Harry is July 31st as well as Joe. So you've got this kind of almost equinox birthdays um, mm-hmm. each half of the year. So they do kind of bookend each other 
in more ways yeah, than that one. Is super cool. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to go into him being a Capricorn, like he shows a lot of Capricorn qualities. <laughs> I, you know, so I think you read my mind because I was just thinking, I was like, what sign is December 31st? <laughs> I actually oh, looked up some kind of horoscope details for it and it kind of said that he would be a very trusting character. So I kind of went, eh, that doesn't apply. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, it doesn't quite work in terms of horoscope um, and, and kind of prophecies for birthdays. But mm-hmm. the, 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 well, I, I mean, think the death I'm... symbolism is, is definitely there easy to see oh yeah sure mm-hmm. maybe i'm remembering incorrectly i just remember like i did a really comprehensive chart for him like probably like a year ago or so because i'm insane <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, i looked it up and like they had all the planet meetings behind the december 31st birth especially then a lot of it mm-hmm. had to do with him being very very detail oriented because if you have a lot of capricorn in your chart it means that you're going to keep going back to certain details and trying to make sure that they're absolutely perfect so that might actually reflect more on his personality than anything sure mm. huh wow but it's been a while i might have to relook that up again <laughs> yeah we had a, a message from one of our, our Twitter followers, Emma Adora, or Adora, sorry if I pronounce your name wrong, um, talking about the fact that in German, his middle name is Vorlost. Um, and I think it was clear from the beginning that he lost. Vor means pre, so pre-lost, um, which is quite an interesting translation um, mm-hmm. aspect. Obviously, um, mm. Riddle's name has been translated into all the different uh, languages that the books have um, been translated into. We discussed that, I believe, when we actually did the the kind of Riddle episode way back when, when the, the Iron Lord Voldemort um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An- uh, anagram was first revealed. Um, so take yourself back and listen to that episode um, from five years ago, <laughs> if you'd like oh to goodness. find out more. <laughs> Gosh, that was a long time ago. Um, it was a long time ago. It ridiculous. was episode, um, let's see, we just posted it on our Facebook page. It was episode 18. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the link's over on our Facebook Jeez. page if you don't feel like searching for it over at alohomora.mugglenet.com. But yeah, episode 18. Holy crap, My 18. Goodness. <laughs> 210 uh, or so episodes ago. And it's wow. taken us this long oh to get God. back to his name. <laughs> also, I didn't want to completely miss the whole Elvis name, you guys. I know. <laughs> the, yeah. the translation into Elvis is the middle name. <laughs> It's amazing. I love it. But I think what those oh translations God. do... He's the king. <laughs> what the translations oh, do gosh. prove is that these names were very much deliberately shaped towards the anagram um, rather than yeah, right. anything else. Um, mm-hmm. So they are a little bit forced in the translations. Um, but as Emma pointed out, there are some interesting symbolisms um, in all of the different names. So it is still mm-hmm. worth looking at. Oh, yeah. And with the German one, I was thinking when you were reading that, I was like, oh, so like he was lost before he even began. Yeah, that's an interesting idea as well. So true. Mm-hmm. So true. I mean, like everything all throughout all of the notes that I've been going through, like even rereading the stuff that you've written down, Rosie. Yeah. It just it seems like a lost cause even from the start. Yeah. Like it's terrifying. I think that's part of the reason why she's such a champion for children in orphanages. For sure. Yeah, it's Tom like, and, and Harry, I, I definitely have fed into um, her need and her want to to help children like yeah. them. Yes. So, for sure. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Although none of them were probably children of a love potion. No. But you never know. <laughs> <laughs> never know. And of course, Tom mm-hmm. is a child of love potion, um, which in itself is a really interesting concept, uh, especially based on what we know of love potions within harry potter 
it's very much a synthetic love. It's one that's not really felt beyond the kind of influence of the potion. We obviously see the kind of devastating effects that it has on Ron um, when he is poisoned by it later on in the series. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But the idea of, um, you know, creating a child through this false love um if we're we're going with the idea of of love itself being predestined and and love being this kind of most powerful magic that can protect harry when lily dies for it and all of that kind of thing um to actually create a child out of love or create a child out of false love um must have its own kind of devastating imprint um and i think that is a a, a clear idea that is kind of pitched with this um predestined um pre-lost idea um of tom mm-hmm. being born from this concoction almost uh, what do you well, think it, it definitely makes you think about his earlier actions before he okay so when when do people when do children start to become accountable for their actions is what is what really the the argument has been at least a big one that i've seen surrounding tom riddle is that yeah. Because he was born out of this love potion and not out of an actual pure loving relationship, um, you know, how responsible is he for his actions specifically earlier in life? Obviously, once he gets to Hogwarts, I think personally things change. Um, But how much is it nature versus nurture? Nurture, yeah. I mean, I feel like the question of whether or not he was conceived of a love potion um, is not one that's really conducive to the idea of Harry Potter. I think that, I mean, I'll just go out and say it. Like, I I don't know if I should put a trigger warning before this, but Merope essentially raped Tom. Mm -hmm. So, um, and and like that, that definitely has an effect on whether or not the child is loved in the, in the, in the, um, in the first year of, of its life. Because she wasn't even around and Tom wasn't in a state whereas he could have even thought of, like, having this child or raising this child. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a, it's a broken relationship to begin with. And Harry did have that love in the first year of his life. So I think that it's more so the question of whether the parents are able to love the child within the first year. And whether that, that area of the brain is able to develop so that the child can have a fulfilling experience in... Um, feeling empathy towards other individuals and tom was predisposed genetically um at least i believe he was it's not confirmed but it's it's said that he's a psychopath so that would imply that genetically he has he doesn't have the ability within his mind to feel human empathy and that could be stemming from not necessarily the fact that he was conceived of a love potion or rape but the fact that he wasn't really um genetically predisposed for it and he wasn't loved in the first year of his life mm-hmm. So I I, like, yes, he's accountable for his choices and his actions, but those choices and actions were under a severe amount of stress even before he was born. Yeah. So the the kind of nature versus nurture element and the idea of, you know, is is anyone ever truly born evil um, definitely comes into this idea of, um, you know, is it that Mm -hmm. he's kind of blemished by this situation in some way or is it simply that, you know, any any of this could have been redeemed um, had he been placed in a situation which would have been better for him once he was actually born. Um, oh, I think without a doubt it could have. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I don't know if he would have ever been able to be a, a like, 
I don't know what we would have considered, like from your own opinion, what someone would consider a fulfilled human being. I don't know if he would be able to fulfill that because of years and years and years of inbreeding on the Gaunt side, um, tampering with the genetics that he currently has. But I feel like as an individual, he would have been able to lead a more fulfilling life that didn't involve so much violence and terror. Um, Had he had he been able to like have that that loving relationship with parents well, he he wouldn't have be he wouldn't have been afraid of death in the way oh, yeah, that he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. He he still may, you know, everybody has some sort of natural hesitancy about mm-hmm. death and curiosity and um yeah, for some people there's fear there as well. But Tom Riddle is excuse the pun, mortally afraid of dying. Like yeah. he could mm-hmm. not be more afraid of dying and I feel like yes, if he had a parent there, you know, if his father hadn't been a D-bag and his mother hadn't died in childbirth, then mm-hmm. there would have been no reason for him to feel abandoned. Yeah. Yeah, because all he was born with was his life. Like, that's all he has. He doesn't and have anyone to support. His life and right. his name, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely telling of where he takes his life from there on out. Um, but also, yeah. I mean, with the question of Tom Riddle Sr., I've I've thought about this a great deal in that, like, yeah. he's always portray- portrayed and vilified by this, but essentially, like, he was a douchebag, but he was also, like, drugged and raped for oh, yeah. a good yeah. amount of time. Like, mm-hmm. so I, like, putting myself in that terrifying situation, would I have stayed? Hell no. I would have gotten out of there. Mm-hmm. He had no real involvement with Merope other than her like adoring him from afar as well so like it it wasn't as if um there was any kind of relationship there before Mm -hmm. the love potion and before the love potion wore off so as soon as he actually came back to his senses he had lived this whole life that he had no i guess awareness of or or no control over any of the choices that he'd made so it's almost as if you know brainwashing had been wiped off essentially um Mm -hmm. at, at that stage so it would it must be kind of extremely traumatic and extremely horrifying to actually find yourself in that situation. I don't think we can, I don't think really anyone could blame Tom Riddle Sr. for, for actually removing himself from that situation and, and, and not really taking any responsibility for a child that he didn't even know he was creating, I guess, at the time. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So. And like, I think that I, I mean, it's hard to say because you don't get a picture of Tom Riddle Sr. um, before he's murdered. Yeah. (laughs) But like I feel like he probably remained crippled by that experience for the rest of his life. Yeah. He was essentially hiding in his parents' house. Yeah. I guess it depends like the, on how much he remembers because we don't know too much about um, what happens when you're on a love potion. If it's like the imperious curse where you your mind just kind of goes blank and you don't remember mm-hmm. too much of the yeah. stuff or if yeah. it's just like... Um, Somebody is forced, like somebody's in your mind forcing you to do these things and you remember it and it's like some sort of mental torture where you can't stop yourself from whatever you're doing. I'm fairly oh, wow. sure we yeah. see Ron being fairly confused about what he did, don't we? And, and Harry reminding him and him feeling embarrassed after his situation. Yeah. So yeah. presumably right. there's, mm-hmm. there's very little memory about it either. So, But that was yeah. also a very short amount. Yeah, exactly. Compared to, yeah. This right. Yeah, and that more. that too. I mean, as far as the love potion that Ron and Jess, I feel like that was probably 
not I mean, I know it was strong because it said that it was strong, but I feel like somehow the longer you take it, Tom Riddle Sr. Presumably it was years, right? Doesn't yeah. it say years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I feel like that would have severely different effects on yeah. your yeah. body definitely and mind, mind. than, you know, those couple of bonbons that Ron ate. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, it, this is one thing that irks me is that people like, it's played off as a joke in most of the series. It's like, oh, look, they're in love. <laughs> or like, I'll make yeah. her, him like ask me to the dance or whatever. But that's, it's a terrifying potion that we're talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. This isn't just a cutesy little thing. This is a, this is a, a rape drug. <laughs> yeah. Well, Slughorn yeah. does say it is one of the most powerful or dangerous ones. Mm-hmm. And it's severely there, restricted so. for that purpose, mm-hmm. isn't it? Like, it, like, yeah. I've yeah. always found it really surprising that they, the Weasleys were allowed to sell it in the shop. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it was allowed to be like smuggled in, in, in perfume bottles or whatever at Hogwarts. So they're like, I, um, I'm awful. fairly sure it, uh, there was a mention of it having extremely severe restrictions from the ministry. Um, so for, you know, Merope, who, who doesn't really do much magic, for her to actually concoct it herself and, and use it as well, um, or maybe she bought it from someone, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, it, it's her version of it is definitely kind of the extreme dark magic version of it rather than yeah. the, the, I guess, tricks and stuff that the girls at Hogwarts seem to be doing and the boys, there's probably boys at Hogwarts using it as well, but yeah, the, yeah. The, what we see of it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's terrifying to think that Merope, that's the only way that she's able to connect with something yeah. that she might consider to be a loving relationship. And it just so shows how, like, stunted her understanding of what love is. Yeah. And, and like, that's that's sad within itself. It's like, I I feel terrible for Merope because, um, like, she's just in this, like, terrifying and horrible situation. And I think and that's God why... God knows what's happening to her yeah. in that house. That, mm-hmm. I think that's why Tom Riddle Sr. tends to be the one that is actually vilified for leaving her. Because we yeah. have like very deliberately been given this kind of empathetic sympathetic um reaction to Merope. we've 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 seen her mm-hmm. struggle so much we've seen her being mistreated by her family we see her being definitely you know an abuse victim herself um and as an audience as a viewer as a reader we want her then to be able to have a healthy relationship even though she is Voldemort's mother we want you know we always want everyone's life to turn out as well as it can um so mm-hmm. for us to actually see her fall in love with someone we kind of want that to work but then you know she does it in the completely wrong way and you know there are some parallels between the snape and lily relationship here where you know one is very obsessed thankfully snape never went as far as merope does um but ultimately the one redeeming quality he has yeah yeah. (laughs) but equally you know a very traumatic and a, a very um horrific end to that situation um and and snape never recovers in the same way that merope never recovers um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know obviously both of their love interests ultimately end up dying because of it um you know the the idea of kind of toxic love is really interesting and it, it's really never explored in much detail in in children's literature so it's really interesting to see this alternative negative aspect of love um in a book within the the backstory of you know, a a villain character because, you know, if there's any time that you are going to explore such a negative force, it would be in the backstory of a negative character. Um, Mm -hmm. So 
I think it, it, it although as as sad and tragic and horrific as it actually is, it does work well um, as the kind of formation of um, Riddle's character. I want to put a very, very quick um, proviso on what I'm just saying, where I'm not saying that anyone who was, you know, born out of a terrible situation like this will ultimately end up evil or anything like that. I'm, I'm really, really not. Mm-hmm. Um, as we were saying earlier, you know, the um, the situation after Riddle's birth is is what really does truly form him into who he is um True. it's just yeah. very sad and, and and tragic that he would have this very sad and tragic element at the very origin of his st- story yeah mm-hmm. and like that's actually that's a point that a lot of people draw back on they they always seem to think that just because he was conceived this way that's the way that that's why he turned out the way that he did yeah and I can't say that I I see that on the same level just because that would that would then imply that the series is condoning that sort of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's exactly what she's going for. Like, it, it's supposed to be your choices that make you who you are, not what you're born as. Yeah. I think that mm-hmm. it's really poisonous to put that sort of um, spin on that, on the events that happened. Well, yeah. it has to have some bearing on his character. Because everything that, you know, you, you said it before, too, he's predisposed to these things. Uh, partially because of the family that he is born into, the things mm-hmm. that are in his blood, his ancestry. So he may not have become that person purely because of those reasons, um, but, but it's, a it's definitely there. He's predisposed to it, and he makes those choices partially because of the fact that his parents are gone, but partially mm-hmm. because of that's just who he is. Yeah. Mm, I... Mm. I, I can see things on your level. I don't know if I necessarily agree wholeheartedly, but I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I mean... Mm-hmm. I think this is one of those things where you, you can fall on either side of the scale and it really yeah. doesn't matter too much. Because um, I really just see it as more symbolic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's definitely... it's. I mean, there's definitely a middle ground and he's yeah. playing... Mm-hmm. His personality comes from both sides. It really does come from his past and, and the family he's born into. But a lot of it is the fact that he just has nobody. And the choices that you make when you're alone that affect nobody other than yourself are very different than the choices you would make if you had other people in your life who you had to think about. True. Yeah. I also think because Tom ends up learning of his origin and, and learning of what actually happened to create him, that kind of solidifies its influence on him so yes he is definitely predisposed to it um but the knowledge of his predisposition again becomes that kind of self-fulfilling aspect um Mm -hmm. so maybe that's the middle ground whereas yes he was predisposed yes he's also nurtured into it however the mixture of all of it together is is what really creates him to be who he is smart Mm -hmm. there you go go on (laughs) um so to move us on a little bit um we don't really know too much about his life in between his birth and um, Dumbledore coming to meet him for the very first time um, while he's in the orphanage. Um, we see that scene, obviously, um, where Dumbledore and Tom are talking in his room. Um, we learn a little bit about um, his character from the, the kind of nurses and the, and the people working in the orphanage. Um, and we learn that he has, you know, displayed some very odd behaviour, to some extent, that's kind of normal for a magical child. We we know that Harry had odd behaviour and things as well. We know that that's kind of a, a sign of magic from an early age. Um, however, it is an element of fear that is felt by the other children 
that starts us thinking okay um tom does seem to have this predisposition he does seem to be um kind of exuding the the dark arts aspect of magic early um and much earlier than it seems than the most um wizarding children do um we don't actually know too much about you know malfoy at this age but i'm assuming that his father would already have influenced him into doing using dark magic um so thinking about kind of dark magic fun times guys yeah you know <laughs> let's go torturing some animals or something i'm sure he did that well or no or i mean dobby. yeah i'm Sadly. I was gonna. I was just gonna say Dobby for sure. Yeah. Um, Draco probably beat the crap out of Dobby. Whether Aww. even if it wasn't physically, yeah, um, emotionally and mentally, because mm-hmm. that was that's just what he was grown up to think. Yeah. house elves are there for basically. Um, no, but sad. the difference here is that Tom didn't have you know a, a Lucius Malfoy figure to influence him in that way. Um, what he did have was an orphanage where. All of the children, you know, are wearing a, a grey, dirty tunic as their kind of uniform or clothing. Um, that, you know, he's got this very small, tiny, tiny room where he's got a wardrobe and a bed and that's about it. Um, he doesn't seem to have many of his own possessions. Those that he do, he seems to have stolen from other people. Um, you know, this this mm-hmm. is not a, a happy, fulfilling childhood um, that, you know, we would hope for a child to have. Um, this and this is, is where the situation. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful comparisons between Harry and Tom Riddle really start. Yeah. Because they mm-hmm. basically have the first 11 years of their life, with the exception of that first year for Harry, are incredibly similar. Harry basically lives in an orphanage. He is treated as such. Yes, sure. They feed him and they put clothes on him. They don't want him there. They don't care about him. They treat him like crap. That's what I imagine it is probably like for Tom growing up in that orphanage. He probably didn't have friends because he was a little odd and a little dark. People probably didn't talk to him very much. He was very much a loner. And, you know, there can be a lot of comparisons made about Tom and Harry in that first, you know, 10 years of their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, They're I mean, both really abused yes. in different ways. Yeah, either ne- abused or neglected. I know that there's a lot of people that say that Tom Riddle was never abused because it was never outwardly stated in the books, and I can't stress that enough. Mm-hmm. But um, also, we're seeing the books from Harry's perspective, and I don't think Harry's really willing to pick up on these sort of like subtleties. Yeah. Or maybe mm-hmm. he is, but I'm not quite certain from what we get from him that he would see something like this. But I think one telling fact about whether or not Tom was abused is the fact that he tends to okay actually there's two facts um one of them is that the first time that he sees Dumbledore he instantly thinks that he's being put into an institution mm-hmm. um like it it's sort of like a it's a an association it's like mm-hmm. a question of like why does he associate figures of power with being put away somewhere it's as if he's um, been threatened with it before been yeah, threatened so or it's happened abused yeah all the for people sure. around him and right. and the second the second telling factor is that um, it's even stated in the books that he causes people pain, and pain isn't something that someone is born knowing. I feel like pain is something that you learn can control someone else. So sure. if, if he's being threatened by someone and someone else has caused him pain, I'm not saying that like maybe they they caused him such horrifying agony that he had to use pain, but like maybe over the years, maybe that's how he learned that pain is a way to control others. Yeah. Pain doesn't have to be physical either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It can be um, so, emotional. So that's a learned mental. behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's and, the, and that- the, the famous kind of um, 
you know the the incident with the rabbit um mm. that they discuss and and you know that um that idea of um killing and torturing pets comes up a lot in um in terms of kind of um emotional and mental torture um and oh, yeah. um when you're you know uh, people might have seen blind spot or or any of these other things where they've got kind of um children who have um been uh kind of raised for violence in that in that way um and you know part of the training of you know you're you're given a rabbit you use it as your pet you look after it and then you're forced to kill it that kind of thing is is very much what tom seems to have done with the other children in the institution that he seems to have learned what they love and then taken it away from them so that they know that he is in control um whether he did that just on his own or whether he learned that from other kind of influences within the institution as well um you know that there's generally a hierarchy of children sadly uh, especially bullies um bullies learn their bullying habits from other people um so tom could have been bullied when he was younger than we see him in this scene um and and learnt to defend himself by retaliating by by bullying back um and by gaining more power and and using his power in the way that he can um and that i think is where one of the main differences between tom and harry really turns up because Mm -hmm. if tom was bullied and we definitely see that harry was bullied harry runs harry hides harry tries to seek refuge he never really retaliates um, the only time we really ever see him retaliate is, you know, the the glass disappearing or uh, with the snake or... Um, and then in Order of the Phoenix, he starts to, but he's also older there. And, yes. And, mm-hmm. and he, More aware. Yeah. And and obviously that's, you know, angsty Harry has happened by then and, and he, he's <laughs> right, learned sure. that he's he had to hard, guys. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and he's had a few years of actually having to fight back against things within the school by that point as well. So he's he's started to learn the fight back response rather than the flee response. Um, Mm -hmm. what it seems like within Tom's reaction and and Tom's description here is that Tom has never had the flee response Um, possibly because he's had nowhere to flee to if he is stuck within the the orphanage and maybe the orphanage has its own school you know he may never have really left that building other than on the the trips that they take Um, so he's Mm -hmm. never had an opportunity Mm -hmm. to run away he's never had um, an opportunity to hide you know everything is very open and controlled in a situation like that um so for tom the only choice is either to be beaten or retaliate Um, and and it's very very easy to see how he would become the the the, i keep saying student the child that he is at this point um oh that is chilling i know do Mm -hmm. do we know (laughs) i mean i have no idea i thought maybe one of you would know what exactly happens when a child is brought to an orphanage. Um, I hate to make this comparison, but is it like when an animal is dropped off at the shelter, like they find a foster family for this child for a little while? Because if, I mean, it's a baby. It's a newborn baby. It needs constant care and uh, attention. Do you guys um, know anything about that It depends on um, orphanages. Obviously, orphanages today are a lot more... um, kind of advanced and and, and um mm-hmm. caring than they would have been back then um they have like a system of like who's on call and stuff correct yeah yeah um For immediate 
Um, oh, that's interesting. The, immediate, like placements. And they'll yeah, have things like wet nurses and that kind of thing as well to, mm-hmm. to actually care for newborns. Mm-hmm. Um, on I wonder the, if it was different in that era. On the um, Harry Potter lexicon, oh, they've actually done a bit of research um, into what kind of orphanages were around at the time, especially in the kind of vicinity of um, Tom Riddle's childhood. And they found that the closest orphanage um, to kind of Vauxhall Road, which is where the um, diary that he has for Chamber of Secret, uh, for you know his his um, his Horcrux diary, um, was bought. Mm-hmm. So they they've looked for orphanages in in that vicinity, kind of assuming that that's where he would have bought it because it was close to his home. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was an orphanage called the Stockwell Orphanage um, that uh, might have been kind of based on where Tom Riddle grew up. Um, Although that one, according to its charter, only had um, uh, children through the age of 14. Um, So Riddle obviously grew up there and and was there longer. Um, Mm -hmm. Stockwell Orphanage also only had boys. So that was a bit different from from Riddle's Orphanage. So there's there's no actual kind of factual place that it was based on. But um, it would definitely be... um, it's it's a little bit less kind of workhousey than kind of Oliver Twist or anything like that. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's not quite um, the the um, horrific kind of workplace, but it is very much a place where the forgotten children go almost. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, if has anyone ever seen or read The Little Princess? Mm-mm. No, no, no. Um, so there's. Um, it's a an, an orphanage, which is a school. Actually, it's not an orphanage. It, it, it is. It's a, a boarding school. Um, but the the main character is placed in the school while her father goes off to fight in the war. Um, and and sadly, during the war, her father is thought to be killed. Um, and therefore, the school is not being paid, and the the main character becomes an orphan. And she's then kind of forced to live in the attic and work at the school to to pay for her board. Oh my goodness! Yeah. That sounds so, really interesting. That's the kind of time period that this was happening in. So that's the kind of treatment that orphanages actually received at that time. So, that orphans. Yeah. Were, so I mean, this is during the Depression era. So. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it's very much a um, a place for the leftovers who can't be cared for. Sadly. Yeah. I mean, they are seen like they they are leeches on the Depression era society at yeah. this point. They're not seen as much more than that. Okay, Which so is, then, so then, his very, very early years—that first three, mm-hmm. six, nine, twelve months of his life—he basically would have been bounced around. Yeah, he would have been um, one between, of many, like, probably caretaker and wet nurses and yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have had anyone as a, a as a parental figure. He would have had, you know, a, almost like a, a, a teacher figure looking after a group of kids. It's basically like a permanent nursery or, or kindergarten, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, hmm. where you, it's, it's one person to a group of kids and they're all just kind of left their own devices, generally, I would have assumed. Yeah. He just never really had a shot, <laughs> really. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah, I mean, he really to. doesn't react to respect figures very well at all. No. No, and I imagine, too, that in a situation like that, it can't exactly be easy and stress-free for the people running the orphanage so I'm I'm inclined to believe that there was some sort of abuse. And this is also the 20s. Remember that? Tom mm-hmm. Riddle was born yeah. in 26. So this would have been 1927. And times were very different uh, almost 100 years ago. So 
And I think yeah, we can see I'm, that in... I'm inclined to believe there's abuse there. Yeah, we can mm-hmm. see it slightly in the characters that we are presented with when Dumbledore turns up as well, aren't we? Um, he's mm-hmm. greeted by, you know, I think it's a young girl with a, a babe in arms um, who kind of quickly shuffles him off to the more kind of um, authority figure um, who is very much disinterested in the in the kids um, and is, is more mm-hmm. interested in kind of trying to ship them off and get them off her rota roster sorry, and drinking rota. yeah and drinking than actually caring for them so yeah there's there's definite neglect um and remember that neglect is a form of abuse as well you, they don't have to be beaten for it to be a being abuse um mm-hmm. so yeah tom has been very very much mistreated um as sadly a lot of orphans definitely were at the time mm-hmm. and were a lot of orphanages also called and treated as if they were asylums as well i i feel like that's something that i've heard about possibly i I don't know i can't confirm on that one yeah i've never heard that but it's that that idea of of an institution not necessarily a mental institution but definitely Mm -hmm. that kind of um kind of official organized passed off yeah yeah so from all of this unhappy yeah all of this (laughs) unhappy childhood um we we see that tom has become um obviously this this kind of um violent powerful child um who really really hates his name um right from the off right from his very first meeting with dumbledore we we see that he doesn't like who he is um he knows that his mother called him tom marvolo because of his father and her father um so he's already got that kind of aspect of the story from what she managed to tell his nurse um, so obviously he's the orphanage has told him that much, um, but he doesn't know anything more. So Dumbledore is then having to fill in the gaps, um, mm-hmm. and that very first meeting between Dumbledore and Tom could have been so different. Um, it, it's very very interesting to see Dumbledore acting in this way um, because we obviously see it's very very different with Harry. We see it very differently with how Dumbledore seems to react with any of the other students at the school. Um, He treats Mm -hmm. Malfoy with respect. He treats so many other kids with respect. Um, So it's odd that he would react so um, kind of viscerally to Tom um, in this situation, Um, which is perhaps another clue of this kind of nature versus nurture. There's, There's something off about Tom that Albus was kind of feeding off in that energy of that room. Um, Mm -hmm. But it may also maybe talk to what Albus has has experienced and um, his mental state in the time period that he actually went to the orphanage. Um, So Dumbledore first visits um, in 1938, um, which is around the same time. Give me one second. (laughs) Um, (laughs) As um, Grindelwald is kind of reaching kind of full power in Europe. Um, So Obviously, um, Ariana has died and, and, and the, the relationship between Dumbledore and Grindelwald has definitely broken apart by this point already. Um, so I kind of think of this era um, as kind of Dumbledore's dark period. Um, so before mm-hmm. before the kind of um, 1945 battle with Grindelwald. Um, whilst... His book five, his Order of the yeah, Phoenix. Yeah, right. this is, this is <laughs> Angsty <laughs> Albus stage. Um, this is all caps Dumbledore. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> 
which may go some ways into explaining why he acts in the way he does. Um, but equally, you know, if we're talking about the fact that Riddle has been mistreated so far in his life, Albus is another one of those people who mistreats him. This is not the way that you tell a child that they are different. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it really solidifies um, the um, interest in dark magic because the, the magic that Albus displays to him is not light magic in this scene. Um, no. You see this as being, okay, I guess I never read it that way. I don't think it's the origin guess... of the interest in dark magic. I don't I, I don't think that this is like, um, that he would never have been interested in, in dark magic if Albus hadn't done this. Um, but I don't mm-hmm. think that Albus is necessarily showing him yeah, the, well, I the think it's a show of power. Like yeah. what he ends up doing is is ultimately fire, Feeding which is destructive. Yeah, and it's it's almost like he's kind of showing off. Like I know you did something wrong. Here, let me show you how I know, and I am more powerful you than you in this way. I think that's the way that Tom saw it, essentially, because he was pointing out exactly what Tom had stolen. Is he he like doesn't he point out to Tom like there's something in there that wants to get out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I mean, a lot of people put the onus on Dumbledore for not leading Tom, but Dumbledore in this state was in a very like fragile mental place. I feel like um, I, I have mm, like a lot of people just tend to point out that like he should have led Tom around a little bit more and mm-hmm. he should have like let him stay at the school a bit more. And I'm OK. Dumbledore was <sighs> also only a transfiguration teacher. Yeah. At this he's point. not. Yeah. He's yeah. no real. He is not figure. headmaster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, he has no higher a job at Hogwarts than Hagrid did when Hagrid went to see Harry. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. They're on the same ground. So I think it's it's. Uh, I can't find the right word, but I don't think it's right to think that Dumbledore should have been the one to lead Tom Riddle. That's not oh, his yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. I mean, like, how is he supposed to sense that this poor kid was being abused? Um, aside from just like what he's seeing on the on the outwards angle of what's um, going on within the the institution, right? Um, but I mean, I I wrote a few things down about this and that. Like, there's some people that argue that he really didn't want to. Like, when when Albus first met him, it was pretty clear that Tom was developing a mindset that was extremely unhealthy, and he could have like realized this and at least tried to take that step forward and. And um, not have him, like, associate magic with power and immortality. Mm-hmm. And Tom was in a situation where he was vulnerable and, uh, and alone. And he had no figure figure to, like, look up to and respect. And Albus could have been that figure. Um, I mean, London was under extremely heavy attack during the time that he was at Hogwarts. And Dumbledore could have made sure that he didn't have to go back to London every single time, every mm-hmm. single um, summer. And he showed signs of, like, serious signs of... Um, like psychological issues and Dumbledore could have helped him with that. Looking at it with modern understanding of psychology, um, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, the books are modern and they were written now and all that kind of thing. Um, But Mm -hmm. if we are kind of thinking about, okay, this was 1920s, this was, um, you know, Dumbledore in the 1920s, not Mm -hmm. having the, the, the ideas of, psychology that maybe we have today that not having the the um advances um in understanding of mentality um mm-hmm. you know we we can't really conflate you know muggle and and 
Wizarding World and all that kind of thing. So there, there may have been more understanding and more sensitivity. And Albus, if there was anyone who would understand it more, would be Albus because he has done his you know academic um, career by this point, and he is mm-hmm. very much interested in the sciences and in- interested in uh, or the magical sciences as they were um, mm-hmm. in, in yeah in what makes people tick. So yes, to some extent, he could have intervened, but as as Kat just said. It wasn't really his role. He is just a, a, yes. a class teacher. Um, he didn't actually have that much kind of influence on Tom. He didn't. He didn't know Tom much more than just being his class teacher. Um, it's not like he was a Lupin figure or um, like he was, um, you know, a, a mentor yeah. to Tom. He he mm-hmm, literally just mm-hmm. brought him to the school. He gave, gave him that letter originally. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think to a certain extent, I think he was afraid to do so. I mean, he just got out of a situation where, where like, he himself had been fooled into doing the dark arts. Very true. And he yeah. didn't even realize it because yeah. he was still reeling from heartbreak and love that he felt. Right. So and, he sees and- this, like, little, little crazy kid and he thinks oh i'm just gonna make this situation all the more worse if i like impose my opinion on this kid that's far better if he just tries to grow so exactly because dumbledore right now is so down on himself he you know excuse me he is depressed he feels that he failed he realizes he had all of the wrong ideas about Mm -hmm. who he wanted to be and where he wanted to go in life and why 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 should he try to impose anything of his own values or wisdom onto this child when he is grappling with the fact that he was wrong for yeah, so long that failed, all of the choices he died. made yeah were wrong and yeah, maybe that's he's part of it as well to help somebody else when he can't even help himself at this point yeah right we exactly. so you said um you know he he's seeing this little you said little crazy kid but or little mm-hmm. evil kid, you know, what if he yeah. actually saw some aspect of Grindelwald in there? You know, he, this kid's meant oh, to be very attractive, it's meant to be so. very powerful. There's definitely elements mm-hmm. of, of Gellert's character kind of visible within Tom as well. So maybe the the show of power is, is him trying to um, stop it from advancing. He wants to actually scare him into not becoming um, the characters that he, he has himself and has seen uh, himself. Um, so maybe mm-hmm. it, it was fear that he was trying to inst- instill rather than power. Um, but obviously that backfired because of Tom being so interested in power. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe this but and maybe he was fear to his own step. Yeah. yeah. Bringing him to Hogwarts, maybe that was as much as he thought, you know, Tom yeah. needed to get him out of that situation of the home and bringing him here to a whole completely different environment. He might have yeah. thought that's enough that's all he needed to do to help this kid especially when he seems to take to hogwarts so well you know he becomes very popular mm -hmm. he becomes very good at magic he becomes all of these great things that you know Mm -hmm, the ideal mm -hmm. wizard should be um it was just the the darkness on the other side of it that you know maybe dumbledore didn't really know about too much at the beginning and by the time he did Mm -hmm. know about it it was too late too late Mm -hmm. yeah and and at that point like he like we said like he was way too broken to be helping out anyone else Mm -hmm. and busy because the war is still going on yeah yeah oh my god i'm sure our listeners <laughs> so will have some drama. really good totally <laughs> opposite thoughts of everything we just said so <laughs> as usual so uh yeah so we're at the orphanage uh we've learned all of these things about tom um 
he definitely hates his name, but he also thinks um, that it must have been his father who was the wizard um, because his mother was too weak um, to have been a, a witch because she died um, and, and she left him in this situation. So mm-hmm. we've got this interesting childlike view of, oh, well, if you have magic, that solves everything, um, which is kind of an element that we, we don't really explore too much in the books because it kind of seems to be true that, you know, we've got magic that can fix glasses, we've got magic that can do the dishes, we've got magic that can solve all of these things. Um, but mm-hmm. obviously for for Tom, the the only real experience he's had with his family was his mother dying. So if she was magic, then magic is useless in his view. Um, therefore, you know, he, he obviously doesn't think magic is useless because he can do the things that he can do and he can see the power that it is involved. Um, which means that if his mother did have magic almost as it it was a choice that she then died and and abandoned him so it almost makes it worse that his mother was the witch um yeah and i'm sure that there was no choosing death yeah yeah i'm sure that there was no lack of death at the orphanage either yeah i'm sure that there were children children who were dying all the time succumbing to things as quote-unquote normal and quote-unquote human as um the flu or yeah. uh, smallpox or whatever diseases were rampant in the 20s there. So I feel like Tom would also view that as weak as well. Yeah. Um, Just reinforce I mean, his beliefs, <laughs> so to say. And it also brings about the idea that death is the end because like these these kids have nowhere else to turn either. And they ended up dying and basically being forgotten. Yeah. So, I mean, if he ends up succumbing to what he fears most, that's what he has to look forward to because there's no one there to remember him. Death mm-hmm. only results in negativity. Therefore, death must be avoided at all costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also, like, no, there's no positive view that he can draw back on either. Yeah. There's no death is next the next great adventure, you know? Right. It's all so sad. Mm. <laughs> this is very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get worse from here. But, <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be better. No, yeah, but we'll try. (laughs) So Tom then does discover he is magical and obviously he does um, join the magical world. Um, We know that his wand is 13 and a half inches and made of you and obviously it has the the phoenix feather um, core, um, which we know comes from Forks the Phoenix. So presumably Dumbledore already has Forks and has donated both of these tail feathers to Ollivander's wand business. Um... For him to have kind of had this uh, one available at this time, um, mm-hmm. yew wood is quite interesting. Um, it is a tree um, that is often associated with death. Um, the idea of um, you know in in um, the tale of the three brothers and the original um, Chaucer tale that that comes from, um, death is met underneath a yew tree, um, and and yews often grow in graveyards and that kind of thing. So. Um, his mm-hmm. wand itself is is very full of of death imagery. Um, yeah, there was a yew tree in the uh, graveyard, a little Hangleton too. Yes, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So yews come up again and again um, with that imagery. So it's it's very interesting and very apt um, that that would be the wood for for Tom's wand. Um, again, sadly, that's so intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> um, the idea of a thirteen inch wand as well is is maybe quite intriguing. The idea that it is you know quite a, a long wand very thin with you with you branch but also the idea of 13 being unlucky um 
maybe even you know 13 and a half you've got that half which seems unfinished so maybe that also adds to the kind of unluckiness of it um over, overall the phoenix feather part is the only bit that seems positive imagery um out of this wand um but even then you know phoenix are death and rebirth so mm-hmm. we've got further death imagery in- involved the um i was just looking this up because i was really curious about the color yeah. of the wood uh, since in the film it's depicted as a very white wand yeah and all of the images that i'm seeing of you which is true probably of most but it is known for having large like gnarly knots on the inside that are really dark and then the wood itself is fairly light as far as wood goes it's um not much darker or um it's slightly lighter than like a pine right it's pretty light looking wood so oh, wow. i feel like that matches his personality pretty well too so it's not like oh, bone yeah. white and looks like a bone like no. they do in the movies <laughs> no like it's definitely carved not. out of human material <laughs> <laughs> but that it is known well. to be pretty naughty though and with a the K, idea not, of not being known as kind of hearts as well so the idea of maybe black hearts within the white flesh of the tree is mm. quite interesting or and lots of imperfections within yeah. an individual yeah mm-hmm. that's cool love it love it that so, is pretty awesome. Yeah, so Tom then goes to Hogwarts with his new wand. Uh, we don't know if he ever had a pet. Um, we don't know about any of the other kind of um, trappings of first year at Hogwarts. Um, but he does seem I don't to think have, he would have a pet. He doesn't seem like that type. No, and he probably Unless wouldn't be able to look after it nah. at the orphanage or anything either. So, um, yeah. yeah, he maybe found some snakes. Could you that imagine that, though? Hogwarts. If he had like a tiny little garden snake he just kept around, <laughs> that would be the cutest. <laughs> like Pickett, he can carry it in his pocket. Oh, that'd be the best. Well, by his second year, we do know that Tom had learned about the Chamber of Secrets and the monster within. Um, so maybe that was him seeking a pet. Um, and he decided to actually go <laughs> and find an opening. I want one too. <laughs> ah, little pet basilisk. So nice and cute. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, much of um, his next three years was spent um, finding and opening that chamber, um, which obviously he then succeeds um Mm -hmm. in doing ultimately that then ends in the death of myrtle um which is interestingly count counts as a murder by voldemort uh, uh, a murder by tom um rather than you know a a a death caused by the snake yeah um yeah so do you think that he deliberately set the snake on her rather than just calling it out um and then it seats you know the first I guess Muggleborn mm. that it finds. Um, did he know that she was in the bathroom and he deliberately set it on her at that moment? Um, in order okay. for it to count as a murder. Myrtle, Myrtle is super annoying, so maybe that was it. <laughs> yeah, I can okay. see that. How sure. I how I kind of picture Tom at this point in his life because he just got to Hogwarts. He's finally made some friends. He's super popular. He's handsome and charming. Like he he knows what he's doing, and for once, he feels like he's like at home somewhere. I feel like the first maybe three to four years of Hogwarts is just like Tom and his merry band of jackasses going around <laughs> and like doing whatever they want at Hogwarts. In like, a very Draco they're pretty and much Craven Goyle way. 
Yeah, like, mm-hmm. but even more, because they're, they're described as having a somewhat of a dark glamour about them. Yeah. I feel like it's like Ocean's Eleven, but they constantly just fail at doing everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like well, they like, try they to, like, are... set the Gryffindor Tower on fire or something <laughs> dumb like that. Like, it's just stupid kid stuff for, like, the first time in forever. He has people to, like, speak with and, and like, plan things out with. So he's... But I feel like that probably changes... From the the first murder onward, like I feel like his demeanor and his um, goals probably change. At least a little bit, they shift. But I mean, that's my own personal headcanon there. So like, you know, take it with a grain of salt, whatever you want. I just think it's really funny to think of. Yeah, but, I, um, I, I've always thought of those early years of Tom Riddle as him being very much just by himself. Like a Luna type character where they are so in their head and they know who they are and their goals and where they're headed and what they want to do that they don't really feel like they need to be with other people. Oh, that's they interesting. don't need to have friends or have people around. Obviously Luna does want those things and she strives for those things, but mm-hmm. the, the two of them are very secure with, with who they are, and mm-hmm. they do have um, goals and things that they are passionate about, of course, obviously. Tom Riddle's being significantly more dark than finding the Crumble <laughs> Horn Snorkak. But regardless, yeah. um, I, I always kind of equated the two of them as far as their, quote-unquote, lo- like, lonership status at school. Mm-hmm. I think I, I feel like he found, found people not as in friends like Draco did, but just as followers. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. he was slowly trying to gain that following from an early on age. Not necessarily, I feel like he, like you said, like that Luna kind of alone side, but he had those people still around him. And he's not necessarily, like, having conversations with them, but he's kind of talking to them to figure out things, but not really actually taking any of their opinions into account. Right. He's I feel kind like of he just the, wanted to have them revolve around him. Yeah, he's kind of like the the little finger from Great uh, Game of Thrones. He yes, like he attracts people to him, but doesn't really care about them. Um, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. I was just thinking. So you know, he 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 sets out to find the Chamber of Secrets from his second year. So definitely within mm-hmm. that kind of first first or second year, he he's not necessarily interested in in friends and popularity and all of that kind of thing. Um, but he probably is interested in learning as much magic as he can um and he is interested in um developing his his power for him then to to find out something more about maybe his heritage or his um you know the the creature that exists within the chamber or is rumored to and then that mission that Slytherin originally set out on to to kind of cleanse the school of muggleborns um i think from that second year he w- he must have kind of turned darker um, because yes. you you wouldn't deliberately set out to open that chamber without necessarily wanting to fulfill that destiny that that chamber was supposed to have. Um, so mm-hmm. in you know if if you've made that decision to look for it, then you must be choosing to actually, you know, kill Muggleborns. Um, well, so. and also that chamber symbolizes power. Yeah, I feel like. Tom, Tom, when he got to this school, like he finds magic and magic is the first thing that he's been able to wield and that he feels like he's part of. So I feel like even though he might have been almost obsessive about finding the Chamber of Secrets, I feel like he's a, he was obsessive about magic in general. 
Like as a as a student, he might have just been insatiable about finding new things to learn. Yeah. And that's why a lot of teachers probably loved him so much because he just wouldn't stop asking questions. In a very and I feel like in quest- <laughs> Oh yeah. I feel like um when it comes to the question of like him and his followers or slash friends, whatever, I feel like um from his mindset, from his um inability to feel human empathy, followers were friends. That's basically how he thought of them. Yeah. How he thinks of everyone else who isn't him. So I mean that's as close as he's gonna get to it. And within his own understanding and his own like sort of um stunted way of understanding how humans work. So like yeah, they of, were friends, but yeah. We kind of see that in what he actually ends up doing as well in that fifth year. Um, so once Myrtle has died and once he realises the kind of threat to his own um, kind of security at the school, um, he very kind of coldly calculates the situation and decides who he's going to, um, you know, frame the situation on. And, and that is ending up being Hagrid. Um, mm-hmm. So he he understands people's fears about, you know, giants and that kind of thing. Um, and he very deliberately picks the person who, you know, it, it won't even even be questioned um, as to whether or not it really yeah. was Hagrid. Yes, there was a creature that Hagrid was looking after, and yes, it probably shouldn't have been in the school, um, but no one's even going to bother investigating that much because Hagrid is who he is. Um, so mm-hmm. Riddle has has learned a lot, not only about, you know, magic and power, but also about people and power at this point, um, and, yeah. and the um, insecurities and the prejudices within the, the wizarding world as well as the muggles. Um, so he has very much become the the powerful social figure at school um and and is pulling those social that he wanted to well. yeah and also i i hate to like maybe this look, makes him look kind of like stupid but <laughs> um i feel like he definitely did not mean to kill myrtle like i we talked about this on the horcrux episode and i understand the fact that like he actually might have plotted it out because he wanted to experiment as to whether or not he could use the basilisk to kill someone and still use it for horcrux making <laughs> but um <laughs> making all them good old horcruxes but i feel like he probably was just he just happened to be trying to get in and out of the chamber and she just happened to be there an extremely unlucky situation he just turns around and then she's dead (laughs) something that's always confused me about the chamber of secrets being opened before you know our chamber of secrets um Mm -hmm. is that if they didn't know what the creature was and it only ever killed one person what was that creature doing in that first opening of the chamber, was it actually just petrifying people in the same way as it was the second time? Um, because oh, that's confused me too. You're yeah, right. Because you know, if if they were being petrified, surely they would have researched the kind of creatures that could petrify someone, and then found out mm-hmm. it was basilisk. Because there's not many things that could do that. Um, so you know, what was the wizarding world up to? Was it just that there was actually so much distractions going on with the war with Grindelwald that they weren't really focusing on the school? Or was it open for a very, very short time and Myrtle was killed kind of almost instantly? Um, or, you know... I feel like it was a short time some... situation. Yeah, th- I tend to believe that it was like a one and done type of situation where Tom Riddle got lucky with the fact that Myrtle was there and got to kill somebody and then the whole thing... <laughs> you know, sorry, wait. He, he obviously <laughs> intended for it to stay open and for it to cleanse the school and all of that, but you know, things started to happen once Hagrid got arrested. Um, the ministry probably started paying attention and he couldn't open it again. Couldn't let the monster back out. 
Really. All I'm all I'm picturing right now is like Basilisk's first adventure, and then like it just yeah. comes out and just instantly kills someone I, and just I, goes I've right been, back in. I've been more wondering, like, <laughs> what did that thing eat for fifty years? Uh, Rats. The despair of human Chickens. souls or something. I don't know. <laughs> Sewage. Ew. They talked about that. They talked about that on the on the uh <laughs> the last episode, like oh. the vanishing of the poo. So maybe maybe That's ew. where it went. <laughs> yeah. No. I think that it was probably hibernating. If it's that maybe. old, it maybe just goes into like some weird stasis state where it just mm-hmm. chills there for a while. Let's hope it's that one and not Kristen's suggestion. <laughs> hey, uh. it's the truth. Yeah, sometimes the truth is gross. <laughs> Indeed, it is. Indeed, it is. Ew, it's yeah. just full of shit. Yep. <laughs> so, um, having killed Myrtle essentially um, in year five of his Hogwarts career, um, Tom's life really does take a dramatic turn at this point. Um, He's murdered someone um, and it does count as his own murder and essentially... Yeah, um, did we answer that? I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, (laughs) but like, did we, I mean, why does that count as him killing Myrtle? I don't get that. I think he must have, like, deliberately you know, um, Mm -hmm. set the the creature on someone. Yeah, testing it out, making sure it does kill. And I suppose, too, that it could be because he is directly controlling it. Yeah, that could be Mm -hmm. it. In the the same way as, you know, someone who sets an assassin on someone, you know, ultimately they are creating that murder. So, yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. he is still responsible for her death. Even, like, once removed, you're still at least responsible in some way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't carry it out yourself. Um, Yeah, right. And we know that that definitely does count as his murder because that is the, the... the death that he is using um, to create the Horcrux of the diary. Um, Mm -hmm. That was confirmed by Jo in her um, Bloomsbury um, interview that she did a a long, long time ago. Um, The web chat, right? The web chat, yes. Yeah. Um, And kind of almost, um, almost immediately, but, you know, within the next year, um, we have um, seen that uh, Tom goes off and tries to find um his his muggle family he finds the riddles um and ultimately murders them within that summer um and morphin mm-hmm. is framed um for that murder so he has met both sides of his original family um decided that both sides are kind of beneath him at this point both sides mm-hmm. are um in need of punishment um and ultimately he he enacts death punishment for the riddles and and kind of life imprisonment for um his uncle um for kind of and can i just say like as as terrifying as that situation is how brilliant do you have to be to walk into a situation put all of those pieces together and then walk away scot-free like that is that's terrifying and it's horrible but like there's no way i would have been able to like use all of that to my advantage and do exactly what i wanted to do even picking up um marvelo gaunt's ring at the Mm -hmm. end of it after all he who must not be named did terrible things or did great things terrible yes but great yeah i would argue that tom riddle was like he he was he's so interesting because he doesn't have that like sort of that terrifying power behind him yet like lord voldemort is like 
really kind of blindly powerful by the end of his life. Yeah. And I think Tom Riddle had to make up for not having that sort of power with all of his cunning. And I love that. That is so interesting. He's incredibly intellectual at this stage. Like, um, mm-hmm. I think the the later he goes on and, and the older he gets and, and the more powerful he gets, you know, the, the degradation the of his soul. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 um, the splits of his soul kind of really drives him insane um and 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 drives his his mind into such kind of focused venom um that he stops being quite as cunning and, and calculated as he was able to be as a as a young man um mm-hmm. so we absolutely yeah so this is um kind of evil tom riddle at his prime um rather than at his most primal um as he becomes yeah this is his, this is mastermind tom yeah. riddle <laughs> yeah now I'm just picturing him as this little blue guy in the suit. But yeah. Um. <laughs> Wrong yes. Yeah. <laughs> and with a taste for classic rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Morfin is framed for, for the murder of the Riddle family and is imprisoned until his death. Um, so ultimately, you know, Tom does kind of cause the, the, the death of, of, his, of both sides of his family, um, leaving him a true orphan. Um and it is that same year that Tom actually talks to Slughorn about the possibility of multiple Horcruxes. Um, I've got the kind of quote um, of the um, description of, of Voldemort in that scene. Harry recognised Voldemort at once. He was the most handsome face and he looked the most relaxed of all the boys. His right hand lay negligently upon the arm of his chair. With a jolt, Harry saw that he was wearing Marvolo's gold and black ring. He had already killed his father. Um... So Harry obviously knows that story um, and and the murder has to have taken place before Tom is talking to Slughorn. Um, so there's two possibilities here. Either he hasn't... Actually, there's three possibilities. Either he hasn't created any Horcruxes yet and is just thinking about it and thinking about the possibility um, and will then go on to create the diary and the ring soon after. Or um, he's already created the diary... Um, and that has proven to kind of not be enough for him. Now he's done these other murders, so he might as well use them for something. Perhaps he can create more Horcruxes and he wants to make sure that that's possible. And then he will go and create the ring. Um, or he's done both of them um, and he's kind of checking that he's still okay, that, you know, the, the multiple Horcruxes thing hasn't damaged him too severely. Um, and is it safe to go on and carry on up to his kind of magical seven? Um what do you guys think in, in terms of the timeline here? Because obviously it's not confirmed. Um, why do you think that Tom decided to have this talk with Slughorn rather than just going ahead with his plan? I think uh, he was afraid of failing. He was afraid of dying. I think that he wanted to be sure that what he was going to do wasn't going to further harm himself. Because we know he's afraid of death. He's afraid of dying. He's afraid of being alone and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, moving on, so to say. And I think that he would have wanted to check to be sure that this was going to work before he yeah. took the risk. Because that is a big risk, because if he did die, he would have already had to use one of his, you know, saves, one of his horcruxes, mm-hmm. so to say. Yeah. yeah, so I think that he, uh, yeah, I think, and, and, you know, Tom Riddle's not dumb. He is an incredibly accomplished, very smart wizard. And anybody knows that you got to do your research before you do the project. Got to do your homework. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think I I side with you on this one. I think that the first two possibilities are probably more um I don't know, they're more probable than than the third one, which is that he already made two of them and is just checking. I think that he just me personally, I think he already made the diary and I think he was thinking about the ring. And like this is a strange period in his life because you still it's still not entirely clear who he murdered first. Like in my mind I feel like it would have been more fitting for Tom to have targeted his father first, and but maybe like just by chance he happened to kill um, Myrtle first in the in the bathrooms because like we're getting a lot of our our information on Tom's life through Dumbledore, and Dumbledore did not know what was going on most of the time. So yeah. I I feel like a lot of these events could be interchangeable. So we we definitely know that Myrtle was killed um, during his first. fifth fifth. Yeah, first, because it was during his fifth year. Um, and the the conversation with Slughorn and, and the ring was during the sixth. Um, so Myrtle mm. definitely died first. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Alright, cool. I'll stand corrected on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, we, but within the other murders, you know, we don't know whether um, it was, you know, the riddles and then Marvolo or the other way around. Um, so maybe he went in search of you know his mother's fi- side first and and his um you know slytherin heritage maybe he wanted to say hey guys look i opened the chamber of secrets i'm the true slytherin guy and, oh wait you are creepy and keep nailing snakes at the door you know maybe he he, he went seeking <laughs> he like expected this whole yeah he, he expected <laughs> the the heritage of the chamber of secrets and the glory that came with that and instead mm-hmm. found a hovel um so you know ultimately he he was so disappointed in what he found maybe then he went to look for you know the riddle side of his family and found some boring muggles in an old house and, and ultimately found whole, that i mean team. he found a whole manor like they yeah, I, if yeah, yeah. anything he was expecting that grandeur from the slytherin side and did not get it and that yeah. maybe even pissed him off even more especially because mm-hmm. by that point you know he was turned against muggles because of the the slytherin aspect of it all um and 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 the chamber of secrets so and also for, maybe even the muggles abuse from his childhood power. yeah um so to see the muggles having the family that the the wizards should have had maybe again yeah that's that solidifies their exit um ultimately and, uh morphin was the only one in the house at that time anyway right mm-hmm. yes because, because mother has um, already died right he's already died right and also Murphy's you know died when, died when tom was born so um right and it's it's Morphin that talks about Riddle and says that um, Riddle was up in the big house, I think. Um, oh, yeah, because Riddle, well, Tom looks exactly like his father. Yeah. He looks exactly like that pretty mm-hmm. muggle. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so, so Marvolo must have been found first, um, <laughs> but whether or not he... Uh, I'm know, inclined to believe not, yeah. that he went searching for Morphin. Yeah. Found him question him because he did not know who his father was yeah he has no True. idea so he would have had to get that information the name. Yeah, from no Morphin idea. by reading mm-hmm. his uh, memories and looking through all that stuff mm-hmm. knocked him out even, or something I, don't think he to do that. I think i think Morphin told him he was the the boy from the big house oh, yeah, on the road remember? probably yeah. yeah yeah probably yeah so went and, and killed them and then came back and framed yeah uh Morphin mm-hmm. yeah i don't think there's too much of like uncertainty on that but I feel like the mindset that 
must have happened because I mean Tom Riddle grew up growing up in an orphanage as we've discussed like he's only ever like seen people who look different from him he's never had anyone even remotely close to his genetics near him to see his own face a bit older looking back at him must have been like this this sort of weird terrifying Terrifying. experience yeah Almost like revolting experience, probably to see like, oh, oh this yeah. this guy is definitely my father. The, that's my Ugh. face. <laughs> and again, w- such a Black Mirror experience for you know the Harry and Tom parallel. When mm-hmm. Harry is Harry is constantly told that he looks like his father. Tom never had that, and yet does. Yeah. Um, yeah. When Harry sees Crazy. his father's image in you know the mirror of Erised or the photographs, he is proud to see it, and he he kind of lives up to his expectation and wants to be like his father um ultimately you know you, you know the um prisoner of azkaban scene proves that he thinks that he sees his father and actually it's him and he kind of feels almost heroic in that role when he actually goes on and, yeah. and saves Sirius. um but for tom to actually see himself being reflected in, and to have no connection um in that image um, yeah. And also, like, looking back on how Tom or Tom Sr. might have been at this point, because there's no confirmation on how he was. But, no. like, I can't imagine that mentally he's in the best of places having been raped for years and, and just in this, like, awful mental state. So, like, he's he's like in fear. He's weak, as Tom would see it. Tom Jr., I mean, would see it. And like, maybe he, he rejects he's... him in that state as well. So Tom Senior sees himself yeah. reflected in a younger self and, and rejects that and says, no, you're, you know, the child mm-hmm. of this situation um, and therefore is rejected for, for being who he is. Yeah. And for what he's born of. Yeah. So, yeah. So interest, this uh, this discussion actually really interestingly links us in um, to our next point, which was... You know, Tom is very popular among Slytherins because of his looks, because he's handsome, because he's charming, um, because he is very much, um, you know, the the classic leading man looks like this role um, of the the film of Hollywood Hogwarts. Um, Mm -hmm. So (laughs) for that um, appearance to have actually come from his father as well, um, maybe that ultimately in the same way as he turns against his name maybe that's why he turns against his looks um mm-hmm. you know maybe he's also hated hate and feels hate for his good looks um because although he can use them for for manipulation and and trust um grace i think as as you've said here um you know he mm-hmm. he ultimately decides yeah. that his power wants to come from something else um do you want it, to go into more detail with this yeah, I mean, I it's hard to say because you really don't get his um, his viewpoint on his good looks, but I think we can judge by the fact that he has gone so um, violently in the other direction. Like he sees his good looks as only a means for manipulation and gaining trust for from people who might have power to offer to himself, and um, he, he never sees it as like a, for any sort of attraction or for sexual purposes. As yeah, far right. As we Cursed tell. child lovers. <laughs> i'm sorry i'm gonna go at this from the perspective he, of just the seven books but he does use it for ma- manipulation um at least for um Hetzibah. yeah um so yes, he, indeed, he, he does. very much plays up that role of her you know boy toy interest although you know he never actually mm-hmm. acts on that but he is very aware no, of not her as far looking as we go, thank god yeah um and um, he, he uses that for his benefit 
Yeah, I think he sees that there's no real value in that attraction aside from just creating more adoration around him. And he saw fear as a viable means of control. I mean, I don't know exactly what this means. As a trigger warning, it could like tie his his attractiveness to some sort of sexual assault that might have happened when he was younger. But I there's no there's no way that I can actually like pin some sort of event to that. It's just the fact that, like, he so violently goes away from his good looks and from people wanting him that, like, maybe he never wanted that ever again in his life. Well, I I think, think too, that I think that he compares, you know, because he did see his father. Yeah. And he's seen his father. Yeah. So he sees his father in his reflection, in his his beauty, so to say, and his attractiveness. And Mm -hmm. I think that that makes it significantly less desirable for him. He doesn't want to be anything like his, quote, filthy muggle father. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be anything like him, and that includes being attractive. So Ultimately, granted, that appearance the, was the downfall the, of his mother as well, so, you know, right. he, exactly. he, he may tie into there as well. Exactly. So as as he starts to make the horcruxes and his, his condition deteriorates, he probably pushes that even a little bit further, and yeah. for all we know, um, helps it along and helps him really transform from that handsome Tom Riddle to Lord Voldemort. I think mm-hmm. the the fact that it is such a snake-like appearance that he ultimately becomes um, has to show some of his own personal influence. Um, I, Agreed. I don't think it would have been mm-hmm. the Horcruxes themselves that, that created a snake-like position. That is Voldemort choosing to associate himself with Ultimate Slytherin, with Ultimate Oh, you know, absolutely. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. hmm I, I feel like he 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 definitely made that conscious decision to get rid of his good looks and become yes. something terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that tran- uh, transition happens um, while he is away from Hogwarts. So during his seventh year, um, he was made head boy. Um, he kind of used that popularity, used that um, attractiveness to his benefit whilst at school, whilst in a situation where appearances seem to matter so much um Mm -hmm. he uses it again to convince the gray lady to tell him you know the location of the diadem um ultimately she then kind of loses trust in herself and 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 we see that storyline come to its halt um in harry's seventh year um but um he applies to work in hogwarts at the end of the year um when he graduates and is denied due to being 18 um and ultimately sets out to become the the kind of um figure that he wants to be he goes and works in borgen and burks um he um stays there for 15 years actually um and um during that time um is searching for these other elements is searching for these other um hogwarts founder items founders objects yes Mm -hmm. thank you sorry Mm -hmm. My mind was stuck there. <laughs> um, <laughs> it happens. This and you know during that ten years, um, actually the year that he graduates Hogwarts is the year that Dumbledore does actually um, defeat Grindelwald. So we've got a bit of a power vacuum happening. Um, the the previous mm-hmm. kind of all powerful Dark Lord has been defeated, um, and perhaps this is kind of ten years or fifteen years where Riddle is researching how Grindelwald maybe rose to power um, and 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 learning and gaining his followers and starting to kind of put together the Death Eaters from his friends at school 
Um, yeah, this would have been one of his prime moments for actually networking. Yes. Because he's moving around <laughs> to like high society mm-hmm. in order to sell and to buy these items and probably steal a few, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Aside and from the, the main well, two. So they they're dark items. They're not shady you know, people. Mm-hmm. Good things. Yeah. They probably even knew about it, but he was bringing in so much money. They're just like, well, we could use a few items. Well, we can just give him a few, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I'm sure, you know, they're not good characters in themselves so they mm-hmm. they would have probably helped him not necessarily to become who he became but they wouldn't have kind of batted an eyelid at, at any darkness that was happening mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so yes yeah, so eventually he he does find hepzibah smith um who not only has one of these items but two um he has she has the cup um, and she has the locket. <laughs> but i don't think he would have killed her if it weren't for the story that she tells um, he, he definitely would have taken the items and he probably would have framed Hoki for it um, but ultimately her death is sealed when she badmouths his mother um, because as much as you know he thinks that she was weak as much as he um, has has learned to kind of hate her as a character perhaps um, ultimately yeah. this, this is a woman who could have helped um, this is a woman who could have done something, um, could have intervened, uh, and a witch that could have intervened and, and saved his mother and saved him all of this heartache and, and things that have led up to his his life here at, you know, the age of, I think he must have been kind of 27 or, or you know, approaching 30. Yeah. Um, and he's not had a good life. And he, we know all of this from what we've already discussed. Um, and to mm-hmm. hear someone then kind of criticize his mother for for being so desperate that she would sell this item um means that he has to give this back to his rightful owner meaning himself um and this witch must die um i think it's interesting that you think um even partially that it's in uh i guess uh what's the right word in defense of his mother yeah i think it is one hundred thousand percent only about the locket i think that if she only had the cup he probably would have just let her live, framed Hokey, <laughs> done something. But the fact that she had the locket, he was desperate for that because yeah. he knew that that's his. That his. That's supposed yeah. to be his. You stole that from me is probably his mindset in that moment. Yeah, and I, I honestly think he would have done anything to get his hands mm. on that locket. I'll not like so much, the, not so much the cup. I mean. No, I'm not saying anything bad, but it's just Hufflepuff. Like it's important <laughs> Whoa, to him. Cat, now you're in trouble. <laughs> you know what I mean. It's important to him because it's Hogwarts, but yeah. it's not yeah. as important it's, to yeah. him as that locket. locket. Because I mean, yeah. he already I had mean, the ring, so he didn't actually need another Slytherin thing. But that locket should have been his, and therefore, yeah, he needs it. He had. Well, the ring it. isn't Slytherin, but it is. It the ring's the Gaunts. The, it, but the Gaunts are Slytherin. The Gaunts are mm-hmm. pure blood Slytherin. Yeah. Right, but it, but it's not one of the four houses. It's yes. not connected yeah, yeah. to Hogwarts it's not and the founders. Mm-hmm. Sure, right. But it's connected to him, which makes it just as majestic in his eyes. Yes. I'm almost certain. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah also, I love both of these theories a lot. <laughs> I hadn't even like stopped to think about them, but they're great. I figure that it just seemed like the most calculating thing for him to do. Like, it seems useful for him to kill off this woman that had literally been annoying him with advances for years now. Like, put her in her place. Go ahead. Like he's he's powerful enough at this point where he doesn't need to be in Borgen and Burks. He can take what he needs and just go. 
Um, but like, I actually love the the thought that goes behind both of your um, theories here as to why she had to die in the end. I think so. so I so okay. So she continued to show him objects over the years. Like she called him over to show him these things. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they had some sort of trusting relationship between the mm-hmm. two of them. He had definitely visited her before. There was some sort of rapport there. Mm-hmm. And I truly, truly think that if that if she didn't have that locket, he would have continued to nurture that relationship to see what else she had. Yeah. To see what else oh, yeah. he can get out of her. What else can I take from you? What else can I steal from you and leech from you? But the second she showed that locket, it was done. Her fate yeah. was sealed. Well, I don't know if he stole any. Maybe he was just shopping up until that point. Like He was <laughs> like, she's going to keep showing me stuff. At some point, I'm going to strike gold. So if mm-hmm. I just keep acting really charming and well, being exactly. really handsome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. I wonder if she he just has... keeps being the Disney prince, basically. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if she has gossiped about her items before. Not necessarily the locket, but definitely the cup. The cup. Um, oh, without a because, doubt. Because yeah. she's so proud of it. So maybe he was, you know, playing the long game here. And he was really only indulging her because he wanted this item. And she, he was just waiting for her to show it. Um, and just happened mm-hmm. to get, you know, two for the price of one. Um, right. Cha-ching. I find that very plausible. <laughs> very yeah. plausible. Um, which sure. then again, you know, shows that this kind of cold, calculating, intellectual riddle that we were used to in, in the you know ten years previous to this. Oh, um, he's, he's so smart at this point. I love is. it. He's a great villain. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but then he disappears yeah. for another ten years. Um, he does. So he, he's got <laughs> he what gets... he wants. Um, he uses Hepzibah's murder to create the cup Horcrux, um, and ultimately just kills a Muggle tramp to create the locket. Which is quite interesting that he is. Um, at this point, he he no longer cares about who he kills and then no longer kind of ritualistic killings um, in order to mm-hmm. create these items. Um, now that the the impetus is just, I need to create a Horcrux, so I'm going to murder whoever I can. Um, mm-hmm. This um, is also shown when he creates the diadem. Um, he During that 10-year gap, he um, actually kind of fully takes on that persona of Lord Voldemort um, he is in Albania, he finds the diadem and he murders an Albanian citizen in order to um, create the diadem Horcrux. Um, so this is the point where, you know, our Tom Riddle discussion technically should end. Um, but it feels like we've got this far in the journey that, you know, we we can't stop here. Um, obviously <laughs> yeah, Tom, we can Tom, wrap it let's up. Let's keep with the some... insanity train rolling. Yeah. Let's yeah, go. Some quote unquote modern Tom Riddle. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So, <laughs> um, Tom is still in existence in some form because obviously Dumbledore still knows him as Tom, um, and and still um, applies his name to him um, in the next scene where we actually see Voldemort arrive. Um, this always confuses me. Like, how many people knew that Lord Voldemort was Tom Riddle? Very few, according to Dumbledore. But yeah, that doesn't really make like sense lot. because Tom was so famous and was using his Voldemort name, at least amongst his friends, um, previously. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe yeah. mm-hmm. if only his friends and only you know a, a select couple circle. of te- teachers and you yeah. know maybe Dumbledore and his spies um, knew the name, then the inner circle would know not to use it, and therefore maybe forgets about it or, uh, or at least puts it at the back of their minds. They, they never bring it forward again. Um, mm-hmm. So that then, you know, Voldemort can then use it as a piece of power. Um, and if he is so visibly changed, um, I guess it's quite difficult to associate 
this person that you're seeing now with this boy that you saw 10 20 years ago um because we, you know this is the second 10 year gap in our timeline um there was 10 yeah. years between um the uh sorry the um graduating hogwarts and hepzibah's murder and now there is 10 years between hepzibah's murder and voldemort reappearing um so this is this is voldemort age 37 um applying to work at hogwarts um once more this time under dumbledore as headmaster um and the little again a little section from the books um it says he was no longer handsome tom riddle it was as though his features had been burned and blurred they were waxy and oddly distorted and the whites of his eyes now had a permanently bloody look though his pupils were not yet the slits that harry knew they would become he was wearing a long black cloak and his face was as pale as the snow glistening on his shoulders. So he's not and full also, snake here. Right. Which is quite interesting. Uh, also, this is a reminder that everybody, all of the adults in Harry's life, his parents, Lucius, Snape, um, all of them were at Hogwarts um, at this, at time. this, ta- at this yeah. time. So 71... Yeah is when uh, Lupin started because Dumbledore became headmaster just before that. And Lucius was already, I think it was like year four or five. No, it must have been five because he had a prefect badge, I'm pretty sure. So think about the fact that if Voldemort had gotten that job, how different that their lives at Hogwarts would have been. Yeah. Well, and also... I know it seems like it would have been this horrifying thing, but Dumbledore would have been able to keep an eye on Tom. That's a, that is one surefire way. I don't know if he would have been able to do much, but it, it's one surefire way of making sure that he's not constantly out plotting at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting <sighs> idea. You know, if if Dumbledore mm-hmm. had hired Tom, would the Second War have happened in the same way? Um, because ultimately, it is Voldemort being turned away from the castle and then going off and and creating the war that makes the drama filled tizzy um so he would have like shaped these young minds yeah something different i mean ultimately he would have been creating generations and generations of dark wizards and and you know he would have created a lot of followers for himself so ultimately he would have become Mm -hmm. you know probably a a dictator figure in the same way Mm -hmm. um but would it have happened in in quite as much of a Death Eaters versus Order of the Phoenix way. Um, if he had been when the enemies in the walls, basically, yeah. When he's he started to like convert people from within the school, so that's another terrifying element of having him as a teacher. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could see why he would have been turned away. There, I mean, there's an argument for both points. Like maybe Dumbledore yeah. at this point he's changed as an individual. Maybe he could have tried to change Tom. Like there's always that question, but it, it's really hard to say. Just because, like Tom, Tom is very far gone at this point. Is he yeah, too far I think gone? Is, I like, think that's always so. the question. Yes, the the yeah. fact that he's now had this kind of visible change um, that I actually at this point I don't think it is his choice. The the burned and blurred and waxy, um, bloody eyes. They're not something that he has chosen to do. The snake aspect of it, so the the slit pupils and the nose. Eventually, I think he would choose to do himself. Um, but I think here we've got more of a, um, you know, a Dorian Gray situation where the 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 appearance is starting to match the um, destruction of his soul. So his soul has been burned and blurred and is distorted and is permanently bloody. Um, therefore, so is he. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I maybe poetically that makes sense, but I feel like from the story standpoint, he had made what four Horcruxes before, and he still looked fine. So, I mean, it's possible that yes, they started to reflect badly on his actual like physical person. But I, I feel like this is still an active choice. Like I feel like he's on the path of actively choosing to become this thing. So this is this is him at the stage of five Horcruxes. Um, yes. Yeah, previously, five? when he was looking fine, he'd only created two because we don't see him after he creates right. um, the oh, locket three and, four. and the cup uh, right. or the diadem. Um, so this is the first time that we see him after um, the actually the the the, the ring. Um, and there was, I, th- I believe there's some elements of looking slightly off in his description when he's with Hepzibah. I haven't got the information with me, unfortunately. Um, I think it was just that he was pale was and more handsome than before. It said okay. that that boy, that boyhood look that he had had finally left him and he looked the most handsome that Harry had ever seen him. Okay. So um, I really do think yeah. that it was an active choice, but there's there's nothing in the text to support my theory. So very <laughs> it very much could be that the magic was affecting him. So there's, there's no reason it can't be both. any of our theories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is just us right. reading yeah. into it. <laughs> um, yeah. but yes, we do know that Voldemort uses this trip um, to the school to actually hide the diadem within the castle, um, within that room that he thinks that no one knows about. Um, he also at this point is supposedly curses the. Uh, defense against the dark arts job um and dumbledore oh he's says, also looking for a gryffindor object don't forget ah oh, true yes he's scouting um, it out yep. he's shopping he's again boldly <laughs> um, goes shopping <laughs> but ultimately never finds one um wah, and wah. supposedly no no teacher stays at the school for more than a year after that so that's 25 years worth of teachers before harry joins the school um <laughs> it's like crazy. a spinning door <laughs> Right. It's ridiculous. And I want to remind everybody who's going to be like, but, but, Quirrell was the muggle studies teacher before DADA. So don't bring that up because you'd be <laughs> wrong. Just a reminder. I want to know who these 25 other teachers were. Yeah. I, <laughs> what happened yeah, to them? What happened to them? Well, they didn't all die. You know, some people Maybe just. Maybe that's what's them. feeding they the basilisk. Like, explode. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> five years of defense against the dark arts teachers. Oh no! The steady diet of defense yeah. against the dark arts teachers. Perfect. <laughs> oh. Oh. That was dark, Rosie. That was Sorry. dark. <laughs> it, it just—it seems <laughs> like a dark, quick so guys. ridiculous. I think this this has got to be another one of those Joe didn't quite do the math situations. Um, well, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Mm-hmm. She didn't trap herself into a timeline until she yeah. mentioned nearly had this next five hundred death day. And then she gave it a date. And that is that day, that mention in Chamber of Secrets is what set up the entire timeline of the entire Harry Potter universe, <laughs> the entire Wizarding World. So, like, no, she had no idea. She she didn't think about that because she wasn't attempting to write a timeline. Yeah. She was just mm-hmm. writing a novel and she made an oopsie and happened to mention a date. So we are stuck in this timeline Um we have got these 25 years worth of teachers, but we've also got um, this uh, time period where, you know, Voldemort has been gaining power for the last 10 years. Um, while he's kind of doing this disappearing trip to Albania, he's come back and has been kind of reconnecting with some of his um, old schoolmates. Um, and presumably he also uses this trip um, to start almost recruiting um, new Death Eaters because, as you said, Kat, um, Lucius is is at the school at this point, um, 
and we know that obviously Lucius and Bellatrix and all of that gang um, will eventually become Death Eaters despite how um, how much younger they are than Voldemort himself. Um, they are, you know, essentially 20 years or so or 15, 20 years younger um, than him. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps he, he spends his time on this day actually talking to some of the Slytherins in the house um, and, and recruiting those or they'll come and join him later. We, we're not really clear on that. Um, well, I mean, aren't they already connected to him because he knew their parents? Probably, like, wouldn't yeah. he have known about them? They were probably raised to believe that he had the right ideas. Yeah. Or at least um, would he, he uses the ideas that they were all following. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just a bit more crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it depends on, on how um, dark and anti-muggle the Slytherin houses and the Slytherin families were at that point. So without mm-hmm. that kind of rallying leader, um, did they actually all share quite as kind of militant an ideology um, as they would later on become? I'm not sure on that. I'm trying to think back to the Pottermore information on Malfoy's family. Um, I can't remember what it says about Lucius, his father, if it says anything at all. About what? In regards about to whether or not they are quite as as dark as Lucius and, and the family become. Well, I'm I'm certain that Tom exacerbated that situation yeah. to a, to the nth degree. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, he they they really were like a ready force for him. Yeah. Wonder what what they would have done had they known that he was half blooded, and how was he really able to hide that? Well, no one knows who he's father an heir is. of Slytherin. He doesn't yeah. have to hide it. Yeah. Well, true, but he would have had to away. learn a lot about. Yeah, he would have had to learn a lot about the magical culture very quickly and have to do so without people like. I don't think he had any problem doing that. Yeah, he just. I think he he knows the gaunt name, so he can flaunt that. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, no one really knows what happened to the gaunts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. to an extent probably although they would have known about Morphin going to jail um, but they don't necessarily know about Merope and they don't know who Merope's kind of husband or you know partner would have been that would have created the child so um, mm-hmm. ultimately as long as he can use the name Gaunt and that is on the, the you know the black family tree he's fine mm-hmm. um, and you know no one would expect the Gaunts to marry or to have children with Muggleborns so he he doesn't have to explain himself to that extent. That is a great point. Good. <laughs> um, so uh, during this interview, um, Dumbledore actually mentions that he knows that um, Voldemort has created band of followers and that they are called Death Eaters. Um, and within a few years of you know the denial of this job, um, the Order of the Phoenix has then been formed um, to fight against Voldemort, um, including you know, all of the figures that we see in the photograph of, the, of that um, Sirius shows to Harry. So we've got, is it Sirius that shows to Harry or is it Lupin? I think it's Sirius. No, the the photo? Yeah. Oh, that was Mad-Eye Moody, wasn't it's it? It's Mad-Eye oh, in the Moody. book, Sirius yes, in the sorry. film. There we go. Oh dear, conflating things. Not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that Mad-Eye shows to them, um, including, uh, of course, the Longbottoms, including the Potters, including all of that kind of band. So, Essentially, anyone who was at Hogwarts at the time um, and people that had graduated before that um, to get some older older fighters in there as well um, seems to have been, you know, in- included um, in this battle, or at least the ones that we know about. 
there were bound mm-hmm. to be other 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 people as well that weren't Order of the Phoenix or Death Eaters. Um, but it seems that you know the the Gryffindors definitely were on the Order of the side, and the Slytherins seem to be the Death Eaters. What were you Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws doing at the time? Come on, guys. We don't know who you are. Just chilling. <laughs> Just being the lesser crappy houses, obviously. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Um, mm-hmm. We then have... <laughs> um, we have 13 years um, between that job interview um, and the ultimate you know, prophecy sequence um, coming to light. So that is 13 years of darkness, of fighting, um, where Voldemort is gaining power, where he is causing terror... Um, we only ever see, you know, a year or two really of Voldemort in power during Harry's um, lifetime. Um, and that seems so dark and terrifying that, you know, to live with that for 13 years really shows why people were so afraid of him. Um, and I think we don't often think about, you know, how long that time period was. Again, this is going by um, the timeline that that we have kind of worked out based on the mentions in the book. Um there's no actual kind of mention of oh yes he was in power for 13 years um but the mm-hmm. the 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 way that the actual kind of counting on works out says that that was the amount of time so for it to be that long you know if you actually think about the wars that we've got in the the real world no war really lasts that long or at least you know the the official wars um so it it would would have been a very very dramatic very scary time um and you you can kind of clearly see why um the order of the phoenix were fighting so hard against it um if we're saying that um you know lupin and and that year group were um maybe in their first year of hogwarts when this interview was taking place we can then count on maybe 7 years um if they were you know graduating before they actually joined order of the phoenix um mm-hmm. so you know it, ultimately that the actual kind of the war part where that fighting was happening is perhaps seven years long whether or not they were fighting the whole time we don't know um but it, it we do know that that you know that that time period must have been very um uh i mean terrifying they're children yeah. essentially and they're yeah. they're being sent into battle but besides are they being sent into battle against like there's they're seasoned fighters the the death eaters weren't anything to laugh at like, yeah. I think Voldemort had trained them himself, the first crew of them, and then that first crew probably trained the the children that had joined up. And they do and, like, tend a lot to of be people... older as well. Like, the, the Death Eaters that we know about seem to be older by a few years than the Order members that we know about. Um, yeah, and these are people that have lived within, regulars. like, a magical world. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the other people are ones that joined in. So... I mean, there's there's a lot of different um, advantages that the Death Eaters did have, aside from money and power that they went into this with. So, I mean, Voldemort's created his forces. They're almost like ready forces that he had made waiting for him when he got back from his sort of 10-year hiatus where he was looking <laughs> for the diadem. And it's He's like, I'll be well right back, think- guys. Just hold things down for me. <laughs> <laughs> kind of with the Second War, we, we tend to think of these as very young children fighting um, and you know they probably were a few years younger. They were um, the the seventh years and and the children of Hogwarts that were actually fighting in, mm-hmm. in that you know at least at least the Battle of Hogwarts. Um, yeah, but they are fighting against Death Eaters who were original first war Death Eaters, um, and there's there's very few 
original Order of the Phoenix members actually existing by the time we get to that battle. Um, so although, you know, Harry does ultimately end killing Voldemort in, in that first war, um, and that ends the first war, the Death Eaters were winning. There, so many more Order members seem to have lost their lives than, you know, Death Eaters that we know about. Um, there, there was probably losses on both sides, but the definitely the the inner sanctum of Voldemort's circle seemed to have survived a lot better than Dumbledore's order. Um, yeah, and I mean the the um, the battle premise that they were working from is totally imbalanced because what can you consider playing fair at this point? I mean, the Death Eaters were torturing and killing, whereas the Order members were just trying to capture, as yeah. far as we know. Like the, how how much how much can you defend yourself against when these people are willing to tear you down in every way? Like they they weren't playing by the same rules, and I think that was a, one of the reasons as to why they were winning. Another reason was probably because they had Voldemort training them, and Tom Riddle himself was just like brilliant at fighting. I don't think Dumbledore was really training anyone. <laughs> but he was then just trying to sort of take down Tom. That's kind of the the sad issue that we actually face at this at, at this moment in our real world, you know, the idea of how do you stop terror? How do you stop, stop kind of violence and fighting? Um, mm-hmm. or the order and, you know, the, the path that, you know, Joe kind of is teaching us is, is this order of, of, of peace and of justice and of right. Um, and yes, there will have to be battles and there will have to be fighting, but, Ultimately, you know, it, it shouldn't be about killing the other side. It should be about capture. It should be about um, not lowering yourself to the same situation um, of fighting terror with terror. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about the amount of people that you can kill um, in order to to succeed. It isn't, a, a battle is not won on who has the larger death count. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it just creates a uh, an opposing, terrifying dichotomy. Yeah. If you're if you're just killing the enemy who's trying to kill you, everyone ends up dead. And in this so. situation, you know, we we see that 13 years after this job interview, Voldemort learns about the prophecy. Um, he learns about this child with the power to vanquish him, the thing that he ultimately fears, um, and chooses to target the half-blood family um, of the Potters as a result. Um, Pettigrew obviously betrays the Potters um, and we end up seeing Voldemort going to attack, killing James, offering Lily her life due to Snape's promise. Um, But when she refuses to stand aside, he attempts to kill Harry um, and his own body is killed in that process, essentially. The, The killing curse does work, but it rebounds on him. Um, and ultimately kills himself um, but due to the Horcruxes the fragment of his soul that is left is without a vessel um, and flees to the forests of Albania once more and the body formerly known as Tom Riddle is gone forever it is indeed um, yep. which is why this is where our Tom Riddle discussion ends because the next time we see him he is no longer in Tom Riddle's body Ta-da! it worked nicely <laughs> he's got a new one he made a shiny new body with no nose it's all snaky yeah, right <laughs> Sneaky and powerful. It's not a human body, really. And we want to thank Grace for being on the show and discussing one of her favorite characters with us today. Thank you. Oh, thanks, you guys. It was a really wonderful experience. 
Cool. Yeah, that that was a definitely a really good episode. I love that mm-hmm. we covered like oh gosh, like seventy so years of Tom Riddle <laughs> <laughs> in two hours. It's awesome. Absolutely. It, isn't it amazing that we can actually do like two hours worth of discussion on something that isn't really in the books though? Like, mm-hmm. yes, oh, yeah. that, I know. Yes, I want to know. So many theories we're going through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, people are probably going to comment on this too, since Chris and you just mentioned it. Those gap years. So that like yeah. fan made uh, or Voldemort origin oh, story movie. film, mm-hmm. guys, be like really careful with that because it is not greenlit by Warner Brothers. Like they have not given them the okay to make this. Basically, they have said we're not going to sue you, but if you make any money, you're done. So like, just be really careful, guys, if you support it or share it or any of that stuff, because yeah, it's a wishy washy, wishy washy. Uh, situation it's the same as fan fiction you know they they approve of it being created but they don't necessarily approve of it in an official sense um no money can be made of it you're not yeah so um they they allow it in terms of they they like fan creativity but you are not allowed to use any of the trademarks you're not allowed to use anything in in a profit-making sense um for good reason you know that's intellectual property there's there's no reason why Mm -hmm. you should be allowed to um make money from that in the same way that we don't make money from this show everything that we do from like patreon and all of that kind of thing goes straight back into the funding of the show and and, and creating content for you it's not right. any profit making business also the trailer has like really big factual inaccuracies in it so yeah. why yeah. would you like watch <laughs> it anyway they haven't have been... been listening to a little to do their research yeah obviously, obviously <laughs> not so i mean like right off the bat it's wrong so i mean whatever you can watch it if you want but. We support creativity. <laughs> Just wanted to warn our listeners. <laughs> He's my favorite character. How can I not watch this? <laughs> fair enough. Uh, and if you guys have a fair, favorite character, you'll have to wait for another topic episode on characters or suggest one of your own in the future. Um, but our next episode will be a chapter of visit. But we're not going to tell you which one. You guys have got to watch our social media um, so that you can listen to the old episode covering that chapter and read up on our second go round um, so that you can find out what we will be doing. Um, but yeah, definitely look at, look for us um, on all of the normal social media platforms to find out what it will be. Yeah, and if you want to be on any future episode, chapter revisit, or topic and the like, you can head over to the Be On The Show page on alohamora.mugglenet.com and submit to be on one of our lovely episodes. Or you can also suggest a topic for future episodes or even a chapter. If there's a chapter you really are dying for us to revisit, you think we didn't do it justice the first time around, maybe your favorite host wasn't on the first time around, any of those things, you know, submit them. We want to hear them. And to be on the show, you don't really need anything fancy. Just a set of headphones that have a built-in microphone is all good. Um, no fancy equipment or anything like that needed. So, And don't forget, you can contact us on our many social media sites. We're on Twitter at AlohomoraMN, Facebook at Facebook.com slash OpenTheDumbledore. And just don't always forget to check out our website at alohomora.mugglenet.com. And just one more very quick reminder to check out our Patreon page. That is patreon.com forward slash alohomora. You can sponsor us for as low as $1 a month just to help us keep this show going um, and bring all of this fabulous in-depth content to you guys out there. And I suppose this is probably a very apropos place to talk about this since we've been talking about the fabulous Tom Riddle for the last two hours is that 
If you haven't been following at MuggleNet Live, our event that's happening on September 1st, the date of the epilogue, guys, like 19 years later, that's this mm-hmm. year, that's this September 1st. Mm-hmm. We just announced that the amazing uh, Tom Riddle from Chamber of Secrets, Mr. Christian Coulson, is going oh to be God. joining us at MuggleNet so Live, which excited. is crazy <laughs> exciting. Yeah, so now we have... Um, seven really fabulous guests announced, and we have at least one more. So definitely head over to MuggleNetLive.com and check that out. It is going to be a massive party. We have all sorts of crazy fun things going on. Besides just being in the wizarding world with like almost nobody, the talent will be roaming around for free. Um, there's no extra charge for photographs and autographs, all that stuff. We're going to have panels. We're going to have scavenger hunts with awesome prizes because we have some really cool partners that we're working with, like Funko and Inside Editions and Tervis. Um, and we're also going to have like trivia, and it's going to be an incredibly fun night. So there are very few tickets left, so don't hesitate. Like, Definitely get one now. And, I mean, as long as Kristen and Rosie show up, we're all going to be there. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Kat can attest to this. When I heard about Christian Coulson, I flipped out. That changed (laughs) everything. (laughs) Oh, my God. I just got my tickets, you guys. So I want to meet everybody. I want to meet all the nerds. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of nerds there. That I can assure you. There's there's a 90% chance of a Alohomora meetup with all of us. So please, please, Mm -hmm. please do come and join us if you can. Oh, that's going to be incredible. Yeah, it'll be really fun probably not on the night of um just because we'll be like working and busy and stuff we'll 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 make it happen if we're all there or even if we're not if you know most of us are there yeah most of you are there something's gonna happen so just saying we'll just if you care about meeting us dorks (laughs) yeah exactly and with that note it is time for us to say goodbye i'm christine keys i'm rosie morris and i'm kat miller thank you for listening to episode 222 of aloha mora Open the Dumbledore.